0: Hello and welcome to the VPAR podcast, brought to you by the world's number one golf app, providing golfers with live scoring technology, GPS yardages, stats, tracking, and challenges, enabling you to compete against your mates and other golfers from all corners of the globe. The VPAR app is free to download and available on iOS and Android. Hello and welcome to the V Park podcast for our latest conversation about the most infuriating wonderful game in the world uh, our guest today is a little different uh, the last two episodes we've been speaking purely about golf with Bernard Gallagher and Mark James former Ryder Cup captains about their experiences of leading Europe that was in the build up to the Ryder Cup in September where unfortunately of course Europe got walloped by the USA today we've got a golfer of a similar pedigree Tony Johnston a multiple winner on the European Tour and the South African Tour and uh, seniors tour but what we're really going to talk about is an episode in his life which had nothing to do with golf uh, but which really nearly cost him not only his career but his entire quality of life it's a remarkable story uh, a story with a happy ending uh, a story speaks to the wonders of science and to some great courage from Tony and his family so Tony first of all thank you very much for joining us
1: absolute pleasure thanks for thanks for asking me
0: no, it, well, it, it's great to have you. And uh, there's obviously been a major episode in your life, uh, which makes you fairly unique among uh, professional golfers. And I wondered if we could talk about that. So, so, so take me back. You're, you're a pretty successful player. Um, and then you noticed something's amiss. Tell me what happened.
1: Yeah, I, I just woke up um, the one Sunday morning and uh, my left hand was numb and I thought I'd been lying on it awkwardly. Um, And then it started tingling and then the tingling moved up my arm and went up the side of my face. And I thought, my God, have I had a stroke or what? So I went and saw a neurologist the next day and he said, no, it's just a a viral infection. Put me on um, steroids, which didn't help at all. Um, And then it sort of slowly faded away. And um, I thought, well, you know, whatever the hell that was, it's gone. And then I was playing uh, a pre-qualifying for the Open for Royal St. George's. Um, And I was playing the practice round, played nine holes, went in afterwards, had a a Coke and and a sandwich, got on the 10th tee, and it was just like somebody pulled the plug on my energy. I thought, my God, what's happened here? And I played another two holes, sort of staggered along, and eventually I said to my caddy, this is useless, let's go in. Tried to play the qualifying the next day. I was going along okay. I was actually playing quite nicely. And after 13 holes, the same thing happened. Had to walk in took me an hour to walk back to five holes, and I thought, no, this is no good. Back to the neurologist they did a, um, an MRI scan, and that 's when they discovered they, they see all these white plaques on the brain, um, which is basically scar tissue ms if people don 't know what it is, uh, your body thinks there's something wrong with it when it 's not, and it goes around trying to heal things that aren 't there, and it, it basically messes up your your nervous system, your immune system, messes everything up. Um,
0: And so when was this and what sort of stage were you in your career and in your life?
1: This was in 03. I I was just sort of uh, looking forward to the seniors too. I was 48, um, you know, two years to go and sort of struggling to keep playing on the the main tour. You know, when you get to 48 and you're playing with youngsters that are literally hitting at 60 yards past you, it's not a lot of fun. But I thought, well, you know, we'll just see through the next two years. And that put paid to that. Uh, they said to me, you know, you'll, you'll never play uh, golf again. You'll never play competitive golf, certainly. Um, so I started um, looking around. I took my scans out to South Africa to um, a South African guy that was recommended to me, a neurologist. He sent it to a lot of his buddies because the first thing you say is there's no way I've got MS. You know, this this, this doesn't happen to somebody like me. And they all concurred it was MS. And then they put me in touch with a South African specialist in London who they said, you know, this guy might be the, the best um, MS guy on the planet, Gavin Gio- Giovanani, his name was, went to see him and he said, you know what, um, there's a trial uh, and they're just about to close the numbers. There's 120 people on the trial. I'm going to get hold of them right away. So he phoned them straight away and they said, there's one spot left. Um, he explained everything. You had, to, you, had to, you had to have certain criteria. You had to have had a second attack. Uh, you had to be under 50 years of age, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I fitted all the criteria. Um, So I went on this trial, uh, which was basically two treatments um, a year apart, five days in hospital, they just uh, pump this drug into you, uh, which basically shuts off your immune system completely. It was a drug that had previously been used for uh, transplants, uh, organ transplants, to slow down people's immune system so that um, the body wouldn't reject the organs. So what they do is they give you a massive dose of this stuff, which basically kills off your immune system completely. And, I mean, the best that um, they could offer prior to this treatment was uh, they could sort of slow down the progression of the MS by about 30%, which, you know, the national average from onset to wheelchair was 15 years, and from onset to dying was 25 years. And I thought, well, this is is not great. So they send you a massive um, wad of paperwork about all the potential side effects uh, and I, I, you know, I said to my, my wife, Karen, I said, look, I don't care what the side effects are, you know, I'm just, I've got to do it. This is, uh, <laughs> can't carry on like this. Um, uh, my uh, symptoms. And,
0: and were- bef- can I, can I just interrupt Tony yeah. but, but before we get into how the trial went and stuff like mm. that? I mean, mm. just talk us through what that diagnosis is, is like, um, for anybody, but particularly for a professional sportsmen. I mean, was it, was, was it affecting things other than your golf?
1: Uh, yes, uh, you know, MS is terrible. It, it you know, it just depends on what part of the brain it it attacks. Everybody gets different symptoms, and in my case, it was um, complete lack of coordination. I mean, my coordination just went absolutely up the pole. And I mean, I, you know, I've told the story before. We were sitting having a a Sunday lunch, um, you know, and I got a roast potato on the fork and stuck it straight in my eye. <laughs> So um, the, the the family, of course, all cracked up laughing <laughs> and then, and then apologised profusely, but it was quite funny. I, mean, I was sitting there with a roast potato in my eye. Um, and the other main, uh, well, fatigue, you know, that's common to all MS sufferers. But the other big one for me was l- uh, loss of memory. Um, I, my short-term memory went absolutely up the pole. Um, and then it started working backwards. And you know, I'd get in the car to go out, uh, And i drive out the drive and no idea where I was going. Um, You know, then I I forgot our home phone number that we'd had for for basically 20 years. Uh, One day I was on the phone uh, talking to somebody about my son. Couldn't remember my son Dale's name, or you probably know from Sunnydale. Um, I just couldn't remember the names. I had to go and look at one of his school sweaters in the cupboard to to remind myself of his name. It was awful. Um, And and then the long-term memories all started fading as well. And I thought, well, you know, that's when I said to to Karen, look, I've got to do this because, I mean, you are your memories, you know, if you, you lose all your memories. You know, you're basically becoming a blank. Um, so, yeah, that's... It
0: must have been be awful, yeah? I mean, you're very chipper about it now and laughter, but it must have been a horrific experience to go through.
1: It wasn't much fun. Well, yeah, you know, you just, you don't know what it holds for you. You know, you think, well, um, golf's over. Um, I can't remember anything or anybody, you know, <laughs> You know, where, where, where are you going to go with this look uh, And it was getting worse and worse until I got on this trial. Um, and it was an absolute lifesaver for me. You know, the, the trial was, um, as I said, five days in hospital, a year apart. They basically shut your immune system down completely. And then slowly, your immune system comes back online. And the thinking was that it would be like rebooting a computer, you know, with the, the faulty memory in the immune system where it thinks there's something wrong with your body and there isn't that maybe it would shut the immune system down and it would come back online without a a dodgy memory. Uh, And it worked fantastically. Had the first uh, treatment. You've got to be very careful because obviously you've got no immune system at all. So for 10 weeks, you're sort of living in a bubble, 10 to 12 weeks. And then a year later, you go back for a second treatment uh, and they reboot it again, just to be sure. Um, And lo and behold, a year later, I was out uh, playing on the seniors chair. So, um, you know, it was a wonderful thing. I mean, I I got back a lot of what I'd lost. My memory is still not brilliant, to be honest. But uh, my coordination came back, but my coordination had changed. All the swing thoughts and the feels that I'd had over my whole life, um, they just didn't work, basically. You know, things that were go-to cures for a fade or a hook or whatever. Um, So I spent quite a long time trying to relearn the game um yeah i went back out and started competing on the, the senior tour which was an absolute blessing managed to get 10 years out on the senior tour
0: um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to golf in the end and mm. what were the what were the doctors telling you so it's, it's obviously working but is it as much a punt for them as well did they have any idea how long this is going to last how long is it's going to hold it back
1: well, the thinking is that, you know, once it's rebooted, it should stay like that. They'll never say that you haven't got MS, they'll they'll tell you it's in remission. And sadly, this drug is now being taken off the market because um, two or three people had strange side effects. So it got uh, pulled off the market, which is really sad because it really saved, you know, thousands of people who went. Uh, the NHS was using it. Um, and the drug was called Campat, and it changed its name to um, LM2zumab. I mean, talk about getting things more difficult. And then the the you know the uh, trade name was Lemtrada, and I only found out recently it had been pulled off the market, which was quite sad to hear. But um, you know, yeah, as I say, a couple of people had adverse side effects with thyroid and things. Um, so you know, there's other trials and other drugs that they they try now. But I was I was just really lucky. You know, if, if I went back and they, I mean, the list of potential side effects was ridiculous. You know, everything from you know, leukemia to fractured eyelashes. You know, I mean, they cover everything. And you look at this and think, oh, my God. But, you know, there was no point in, in not having it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I was just really, really lucky that, I, you know, it was just the right time. Uh, I was at the right age. I'd had the right number of uh, attacks. And, you know, since then, nothing. Fatigue is a problem. Um, you know, I've struggled with fatigue since then. I used to be like the Duracell bunny. You know, I was just I was just flat out all day long every day um, and yeah you know, that's changed but you know I've got plenty of energy to get through through your average working day and uh, doesn't take that much energy to talk a load of bollocks on 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 TV <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and tell me about relearning the game uh, um, I mean did you actually have to change a swing if you like and
1: well everything felt different you know the uh, you know, when I looked at it on video, it looked the same, but, my God, it felt like somebody else was holding the the grip of the club. So, you know, it was relearning feels, I suppose, more than anything. I don't think the swing really changed. I think that was ingrained. But um, feels more than anything and, and the sense of timing. My timing changed. Um, and, you know, it was just a case of, you know, trying to find something that worked, fiddling and trying it out on the range, you know, down on the, the back end of Sandingdale's range there, hours and hours, days and days and days, months, just to try and find a way to, to get around again. And eventually, uh, yeah, I, I found a way. I never played the same as I did before the MS, but uh, it was good enough to be out there.
0: Well, you won quite a lot, didn't you? Uh,
1: on, the champ, on the Champions Tour, on the Seniors two, I won twice. I won twice, yeah, which was, uh, you know, it was, that for me was massive. My first one was in Jersey, um, and, I mean, I had a, a putt on the last half from a foot, and it was unquestionably the most nervous I've ever been in my entire career. My God, I looked down, the trousers were flapping. I mean, I was shaking like a leaf. You know, when you've been told you're never going to play again and you has a chance to to actually enjoy the feeling of a win again, um, and it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, to me personally, that was maybe the most important win of my career, getting out and, you know, and actually conquering the whole thing again. It was lovely.
0: That must have, Yeah, that must have been very, very special. Um, do, do you think um, it was, in a way, where you re-energised mentally when you were relearning the game, uh, you thought you'd never be able to play again? Did it give you fresh motivation and uh, to take on the seniors' tour?
1: It did, absolutely. But it was a long road, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you stand on the range and you think, you know, you're going to hit shots that uh, just came naturally to you that you didn't have to think about. I played with a fade my whole life. So you'd stand on the end of the range. It's sunny down and say, I'm going to start it on that tree, five yards left of that flag, and I'm going to indicate a nice soft fade. And we'd come out 50 yards left with a pull hook <laughs> and head into somebody's garden. You know, you think, well that that didn't used to happen before. <laughs> so, you know, and it was quite. I mean, it was a slow process, and you know, the key was just not to lose heart and keep believing, which is, I suppose, true in in any walk of life. And I thought, well, you know, I'm 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 going to go out and play and then I conquer this. Um, and, and luckily, I did find a way. Um, and thankfully, my, my short game always stayed sharp. Although even that not quite as good as it used to be, you know, just not the same feel sensations. But hey, I've got 10 years um, extra playing career out of it. So who's complaining? Not me.
0: And um, uh, I mean, a lot of people I, always when I read about the European Tour and the uh, the game in Europe, that the pros are very close and very supportive. Yeah, um, did, did your fellow professionals act as a sort of family through your ordeal?
1: Yes, you know, I, I mean, I had a lot of buddies on tour. Um, Mark James, who I know you've already done on your podcast, Mark, Jesse was always a very good a friend of mine on tour. He stayed with us when he came to South Africa. Uh, Roger Chapman, you know, your buddies. Uh, phone you you know, and just find out how you're doing and then when I got back out on the seniors tour obviously a lot of guys that I had played with um, over the years uh, I was out with them in fact my first tournament back I got on the first tee in the Italian Open playing with my old buddy Sam Torrance, and he knew how much this meant to me and um, you know the first hole was uh, it was just a three-wood off the tee and I always used to just knock up the turf and put it down on top so I did that and I thought this is not a good idea I am going to hit two feet behind this. I'm going to fresh air it, and everybody's going to crack up laughing. So I stuck it on a peg, and um, somehow managed to get it down the fairway. And Sam put his arm around me, and off we went. And it was it was just a wonderful moment having that, you know, sharing that with a with a great friend.
0: And and tell me now, do you do you still have to have checkups? Do you still have treatment?
1: No, no. It was the two year. It was the two treatments a year apart. I mean, the the, the best drugs they could offer prior to that. Um, with the drugs called interferon drugs, which you either had to um, inject daily, monthly, weekly. It varied for different people. But that's basically for the rest of your life. No, I've never had to take anything else. For the first five years, I kept going back for checks, MRI checks and um, coordination tests and things. And, you know, they were trying to just build up, um, you know, a lot of info on what the drug was doing to people. And and now nothing, nothing. I don't go back at all. I just carry on as before. Absolutely bloody wonderful.
0: You're listening to an interview with Tony Johnston, former European tour player and multiple sclerosis survivor. This is the VPAR podcast brought to you by VPAR, the world's number one golf app, free to download on iOS and Android. You're still very involved in the game and you're a um, a regular commentator. Uh, Tell us about the European tour, because a lot of of VPAR users, We, we watch a lot of the big stuff. Yeah. Um, and the, the European Tour slightly drifted off the radar. What, what, what's the health of the European Tour at the moment?
1: Very good. Very good. Yeah, no, it's very good. You know, COVID obviously put a spanner in everybody's works. But, uh, no, the European Tour, I mean, I think they've got 41 tournaments this year. The money, prize money is smaller, obviously. You know, the big corporations and companies have, have also struggled um, with finances. But, no, it's it's looking good. I had a long chat with Keith Pelly. Um Two weeks ago, when I was in at Valderrama, um, and now things are looking good, and things are looking good for next year. I, I don't know how this thing in um, in uh, the Middle East goes. This new tour that uh, Greg Greg Norman's going to be the the tour commissioner. Uh, how that affects everything, I don't know. I think I think quite a few guys who are you know their careers are on the way and are going to take the big bucks and head off to this new. Um, this new thing they've got going up. Uh, I, think, I,
0: I, I think I'd take 50 million. What about you, Tony?
1: I'd tear your arm off. <laughs> you know, you, know you, you think of the guys that you know, are, are later in that career. I know Mickelson's involved and he's trying to um, coerce guys to go and play. But, you know, if you're, if you're sort of between, you know, early 40s and onwards where you're struggling to compete, um, yeah, and they say, look, here's 40 or 50 million to play for 10 years. Absolutely. <laughs> what a question, you know, you'd be daft not to. You really would. I mean, let's, you know, money talks and that's the, the bottom line.
0: No, Well, I think Lee Westwood has been honest enough to say exactly that. He's 48. Why, why mm. wouldn't he take it? And just going back to the European tour, the, the sort of absence of the big names and the big Europeans on it, um, the, the, the tours finding a way to thrive without them. When I, when I, when I was a kid watching golf, mm. I'd watch you, Greg, Seve, Ian the, all the big players in the world, or the big Europeans played in the European tour. They'd be playing in Mallorca where you've just yeah. been. Now, now they tend to be all, all on the PGA tour, the world tour, whatever it's called. The, the, has the European tour found a way to thrive without necessarily having the big stars on the uh, scoreboard?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. Look, I, you know, it's, it's sad for the European tour that, um, you know, our, our top players don't come and play more. But, you know, it's a business choice. It's a career choice. And, you know, if the guys get a card in America, you know, the money is huge. And playing both sides of the pond is a serious strain. And you know, I used to go and play a couple of tournaments a year in America. And I, I understand their position that, you know, you've, if you're going to play the PJ Tour, you go over there, you set up home, your family goes over with you, and that's where you live. You know, so when you come back to Europe, you're actually going away from home um, for a lot of these guys. Um, and it, I mean, it is, it is a strain. You know, there's no question it's a strain. So the guys go and play there. Um, I would like to see you know, the guys come and support more. John Rahm's played a few times this year, which has been brilliant. Um, I You know, I have no idea what the long-term effect is, but, uh, you know, we've got... The, the thing is, we've got so many good young players now who are capable of competing on the PGA Tour. You know, in the past, there was a small percentage that um, had the American-type game. They headed it long and high, coming down soft. Our guys have grown up in windy conditions, so a lot of them... Are lower ball hitters, um, in my opinion, more skillful golfers because they've learned to play the wind and, and all the different conditions and courses. But we've got so much great young talent now that can go and compete on the PGA Tour. And you know, to be honest, they'd be daft not to. They would be daft not to. You know, the, the money over there, and you know, the you know the tour here is run beautifully, but over there it's one language, one country, so easy to organise everything. Uh, so it runs exactly the same week to week. And, you know, that doesn't happen when you're going from the Middle East to Spain to the UK. You know, it's still run very well, but it's just, you know, the language barriers, you know, the food barriers. Um, it's, it's harder. It is harder to play, I think, on the European tour than doing everything in one country.
0: And then finally, um, how's, your, how's your game?
1: don't know. I retired with a purpose. I retired with a purpose of retiring.
0: <laughs> so you, you don't even play a roll-up on a Saturday or anything like that?
1: No, I've barely touched a club in six years, Ben. Um, you know, people that know me will understand when I say this. I, I fought a losing battle with my temper on the golf course my whole life. Um, you know, and every morning on the first year, I'd say, right, today I'm going to go out and today I will be better. Today I will act like an adult I won't behave like a child, and within three holes, I was having a rip a head off um, and I came off the course every day, exhausted from fighting my temper and embarrassed about my behavior now, because I did, I acted like a complete tosser um, and i did, i just didn't I just didn't beat it I, you know I, I tried and I tried, but man when the, when the when the red haze came over me i was uh, it was just it was not much fun, and I, I said to you. Um, my wife, 20 years ago, the day that I feel that the frustration outweighs the pleasure, um, I'm done. Um, and, you know, I got to a point on, this, on the senior's chair where I didn't feel I was competitive. Um, but I was still just as, you know, I was still just as angry with the bloody game. So um, I, I, I decided that was the time, call it a day. And I, the nice thing is I still love golf. I still love being involved with golf. Uh, I love doing the commentary. I love the game. I just don't love playing the game.
0: <laughs> yeah, even um, even after. Um, so, so, you went for a game with your son. Would you lose your temper then? Is, is it? Are you, can you can you control oh, yourself in certain settings?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I tried to, but I, it's so embarrassing to even to even admit to it. But now I would still get really angry. Um, you know it was like a light switch you know it would just boom and the club was gone and I think Gee, how did that happen um, so I tried to behave especially when they came out to watch me in tournaments but uh, it sort of worked in <laughs> an extent but not entirely <laughs> the one thing I do miss is, is going out and having a knock with my boy around Sunningdale though um, Sunningdale have been fantastic to me by the way They've, from 1984 they gave me the use of the facilities, the use of the practice ground, the run of the, the club. I mean, Sunningdale have just been unbelievable to me over the years and they still extend it to me every year. You know, I go up there maybe half a dozen times just to catch up with people during the year and I keep meaning uh, pre-COVID. The one thing I do miss is the hours and hours around the tripping green at Sunningdale, hitting bunker shots. That's the one thing I do miss is the short game. Um, so maybe next summer, when, if, if we have a summer, which we didn't this year, I'd like to get up there. But, yeah, I miss, I miss uh, not going out with my, with my boy. Um, his two daughters are now four and two. I've got a grandson that's nine months. So hopefully I'll be, you know, maybe I'll take it up again because I want to go out and play with the, the grandkids and have some fun with them, definitely.
0: Tony, I've got one final question. I did do some research, and I, I did hear you had a, a fairly uh, difficult relationship with the flat stick and the, <laughs> the, that you referred to yourself as uh, Jabba the Putt. Uh, is, 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 is this accurate? Tell me about Tony Johnson on the greens.
1: I was a streaky putter. You know, I was always a very, I always puttered, um with a, with a jab stroke. I think that was from growing up on very grainy greens. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was either putting brilliantly or putting average to rubbish. Um, and a lot of putters paid the price. You know, I was, I was never a caddy blame or a person blame. I blamed me and I, I, I blame the putters a lot. And I remember <laughs> we were moving home in South Africa and we had, a, and we had this big cupboard in the, in the garage. So we were going to move this cupboard, so I tilted it forward and about 30 putters fell off the top of this cupboard, <laughs> all with about 18 inches of shaft in them. And my son Dale said, oh, Dad, what happened to all these putters? I said, oh, no, no, that's from when we lived in Durban, you know, there was a lot of salt in there and it caused all the shafts to rust and they, they all broke. <laughs> and I, I got away with it until he got a bit older than it. Yeah, mm. <laughs> but, you know, by the same token, um, the winds that I had was, you know, when I had weeks when I was deadly with the pata, and there were some weeks when I was just, uh, I was seriously hot with the pata, but uh, not, not enough of them, but enough to keep me happy and have a decent career. I've, if I could do it all again, I wouldn't change a thing, man.
0: That's all from us. You can find more episodes on our podcast feed. But for now, thanks for listening to the VPAR podcast. Brought to you by the slickest golf app in the game.